0: You're listening to the Jewel City podcast. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. We have something for all people and all ages. We're joining our live stream at 10 a.m. In this podcast, we'll hear a message from Pastor Rita. Go ahead and give God a hand and let's make welcome Pastor Rita. Can we do that? He's a good cheerleader, isn't he? If I act a little bit tipsy tonight, it's because I've been drinking. Been drinking from the well that Pastor talked about this morning. Anybody here been to the well this morning? Anybody here? Been drinking that new wine? Okay. Um, how many of you here live in the cove? Okay. Has anybody here seen a strange critter in your lawn, in your, in your yard lately? I'm not talking about Bruce. I'm talking about somebody else. A strange critter in your yard Okay, well, before that, I just want to say, I I got a meme on my phone, and it went along with your message this morning. I love it. And it was my favorite, probably in all 66 books, my favorite lesson is John chapter 4, the woman at the well. And I got a meme on my phone, and what it said was this. It was a picture of the woman at the well, and she said, it wasn't the water he came for. It was me. And I like that. That ministered to me. Well, we've been doing a lot of painting at my house down here on 191 Sapphire. And uh, we've been painting inside and painting outside. And uh, last night, uh, yesterday, I was in my uh, easy chair, you know, and I was just watching TV away, and my daughter comes running in the house. She doesn't run too often. <laughs> when she come running in the house, and she said, come quick. She said, there's a bird outside that's taller than you are. And I said, you need to stay away from them paint fumes. You know, you've been inhaling too many paint fumes. She said, no, there's a bird out there and it's taller than you are. Come, come, come and see. So I went out. I went out on the back porch. There was no bird. And I looked at her and I said, you stay in the rest of the day, okay? Just don't go back out. About that time, and it was either an emu or an ostrich. Did anybody see that? Well, maybe we go back to tipsy-drinking from the well. I don't know. But there was an emu or a, So if you know anybody that's lost an emu or an ostrich, don't call us now, because he's gone. Pardon me. It was in your garage? Oh. <laughs> I'm glad it was your garage. <laughs> well, at least carry salt. I've got a witness, okay? Well, I always want to start with something a little funny. I heard something the other day on TV where it said, these two men were talking, they were friends, and one man looked at the other man and he said, you know, I've been happily married now for all these years. And he said, "Um, you've never married. He says, how come you've never married, never found the right girl? And the second man said, oh, I found several girls that I really liked. and I would have been glad to have married, but when I took them home, To meet Mama, Mama didn't like any of them. Mama just thought she didn't like any of them. So the man says, "Well, I got an idea. Why don't you try to find a girl that maybe looks a little like your mother, and maybe acts a little like your mother, has some mannerisms, and just reminds you of your mother?" So few months went by, and he said, are you married yet? He said, no, said, never found anybody that looked like your mother or acted like her. He said, oh, yeah. He said, I found two or three women that kind of favored my mother, kind of looked like her or acted like her. But he said, when I took her home to meet the family, my father hated her. <laughs> okay, on with the message tonight. <laughs> In Psalms 77, too, David said this. David said, in the day of my trouble, I desperately sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was outstretched in prayer without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. I was desperately sought the Lord. Now get this, my hand was outstretched in prayer in the night without weariness. Psalm 82, 2 says, I desperately want to be in the courts of the Lord's temple. My heart and my entire being shout for joy in the living God. The title of my message tonight is The Gift of Desperation. How many of you here tonight have ever been in a desperate situation, I mean desperate, not just a bad time, but you've been in a desperate situation. Lately, it seems like the Lord has been talking about dryness and deserts and darkness. So I think the Lord is trying to talk to his people tonight because it's okay to camp there for a little bit, but it's not okay to buy real estate. It's not okay to buy a house and camp and live there. You can just go through the darkness a little bit. You can go through the wilderness a little bit, and it's good, and there's lessons in there for us, but we cannot stay there. So we're going to talk a little bit tonight about desperation, okay? Desperation is defined as the loss of hope and surrender to despair. It has a Latin root word, which means to give up. Now, I know that there's a lot of people that feel like giving up because they come to my office. They call me on the phone. A lot of people today just can't keep up, and they feel like giving up. So have you ever felt like giving up in a season of despair? Have you ever crossed your mind to just surrender? I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. You know, one day, uh, the mother of James and John went to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can one of my boys sit on your right side? And can one of my boys sit on your left side? And Jesus looked at her just a few verses down, and he didn't say, uh, he said, Mama, I'm not passing out seats. I'm passing out crosses and cups. You take up your cross and follow me. You drink of the bitter cup. Nobody said the Christian life was easy. But the Christian life is worth it down here, and it's going to be worth it one day when we get up there. So the Christian life is certainly worth the struggle. It's worth a few days in the wilderness. But I'm going to talk tonight about being desperate. And if you're here tonight and you feel desperate, someone called the other day and they were just talking about suicide. They felt like giving up. Okay, so I'm going to talk, it says, in other words, when you become desperate, it says you become devastated, downcast, resigned, distraught, overcome, out of one's mind, at one's wit's end. And I like this one, at the end of one's tether. You come to the end of your rope. You're at the end of your tether. Okay. I'm just big, but it didn't help. Let me define desperation another way. It is a hopeless situation that seems impossible to deal with. It is a state of ultimate despair, typically one that results in rash or extreme behavior in the Gospels, not only in the Gospels, but even in the Old Testament, we can find examples of desperate men and desperate women. And how many of you know that desperate people do desperate things? Okay? And so when people that have come to their end of the rope. Now, in Luke chapter 8, we don't have to turn there, and I'm not going to read anything, but this is another very familiar story, just like the woman at the well. This woman uh, in Luke chapter 8 had uh, blood disease for 12 years. Now, I want you to get this picture. I don't want to just skim over this tonight. I want you to get this picture. This woman bled for 12 years. I look around the room tonight, and, and we're all adults. Can I just say, can I just say this, that when she had one month, she started her monthly cycle, which was normal. But when it came time for her to quit, she did not quit her monthly cycle, but she continued to bleed. Now, I did my math, okay? I typed medical terms for 42 years. In the medical field, we got some doctors and nurses here, this is called metrorrhagia. okay? Where you, you uh, don't stop bleeding. And I did my math and for 12 years, She had her monthly cycle for 144.98 months. Almost 145 months. I can't imagine. She got so weak, and we know the story. We've heard it many times again, how she became so weak that she couldn't walk, and the Bible said that she had spent all. She spent all of her money There was no more money at West Banco. None in the credit union, none. There was no money anywhere. And she had probably exhausted all of her neighbors because probably initially they came over and helped. Maybe it was a couple of them mowed their lawn, a couple of them washed their dishes, and a couple of them washed their garments. But then after so long, after so many months, 12 years, they got tired of helping her. She was at her wit's end. I just imagine. Now, it had to be something like this. What did her house look like? It probably was a wreck she couldn't keep up anymore. She probably didn't have what she needed to eat because she had no money. She had spent all. She was in a desperate situation. Now, back in those days, when it was that time of the month, you were considered unclean. And you could not go out in public. And not only that, but when you were out in public, You could not even, how many of you know, walk beside a man, even if he was your husband. You had to walk behind him. And you could not speak to a man in public. Got a Sunday school teacher over here shaking his head. You could not speak to a man in public, even if it was your husband. But I'll tell you, one day this woman sat in her desperate position she so was so desperate, I can just see her sitting in her home. And outside she could hear a crowd coming down the street. And she thought, wonder what's going on today. And above all of the chitter chatter of the crowd, she heard somebody say, Jesus is passing this way. Jesus is coming to town. Jesus is here in our dusty street. And what did she do? She said, Jesus, I've heard that name before. I've heard how he did this and did that. And all of a sudden, out of her desperation, she says, I'll break all Levitical laws. I'll break all of the custom laws. I'll break all of the nationality laws. I'm desperate. I can't walk anymore. I can't do my own house. I've got no money. I don't have enough to eat. And she grabbed her, her back. And I can see her now. Can you, as she hobbles down the steps, uh, and people probably look at her. They knew her condition. Her neighbors knew. Her town knew. But she was desperate. Uh, and she got out in there. And the crowd maybe tried to discourage her. And I can just See Jesus picturing all of the crowd around him and the disciples encircled around him and as he would take one step she would reach out and she would try to grab it but he took another step and she just missed it but she was so desperate she said I can't give up there's no other way I have no hope there is no hope and so she would just get a little closer she elbowed her way through the crowd she didn't care if she was put in jail go ahead and find me I have no money I don't care what you do to to me, I am desperate. And finally she reached out and she touched him of his garment. And that's when Jesus said, Who touched me? And the disciples said, Why, Jesus, look at this massive crowd. It could have been Peter or Thaddeus or that guy over there, this guy. He said, No, whoever touched me was desperate, and they were seeking something. They knew that they would get an answer when they touched me. And when that woman went home, she did not go home the same way she made her way into the streets. I can see her now. I don't know how old she was. I can just see her now. I bet the dust flew, and she went home, and she knew that the bud stopped immediately. And I'm telling you, her life was never the same. We do not have enough desperate people in the church today. We don't have enough people that are willing to say, I'm going to hold on to the horns of the altar until I get my answer. I can remember when I was a child, There would be people, they they would even turn some of the lights out, leave some of them on, and there would still be people on the floor. There would still be people on their knees. There would still be people on their face uh, crying out for lost sons and lost daughters and lost cities uh, and for healing for their body and for one need or another. But we don't do that anymore. Instead of praying through, we just get through praying, uh, and there's a difference. Uh, And so tonight, I wanted to talk about her. But I also want to say that desperate people do desperate things. Now, I wrote this down because I didn't want to miss any of this. I want you to listen real quick. I'm watching the time, and I won't keep you long. Desperate people may climb up a tree in order to catch a glimpse of Jesus desperate people. Beware of the desperate people. If you're sitting beside a desperate person who desperately needs an answer, beware of that person because they may lay in the dirt. They may jump in a lake. They may tear the roof off of somebody else's house. They may shout a little louder above the religious crowd trying to silence them. Watch out for the desperate man. Watch out for the desperate woman for they shall see Jesus. They will get his attention and they We'll get an answer. I want to ask you tonight how desperate are you? How long has it been since you've spent a lot of time on your knees? How long has it been since you fasted for any length of time let 's examine the closely the inside of the church today. Where are the signs and the wonders of those that are supposed to to follow the believer where we don't see too many signs and wonders anymore. Okay. I believe it's time that we become desperate. Okay. And I just want to talk for just a few moments about Jonah. Jonah, we know the story. God told him to go this way. He went that way. He bought a ticket and went down there. It said he spent all that he had on this ticket. He paid the fare thereof, and he got on a ticket that went to this other city. And then he found himself a place to sleep. Now, he was the one. You know, there there were people on that ship that needed what he had. They needed his God. But he was down, in this behinder part, sound asleep. But then, all of a sudden, when they did, go down and wake him up and say you know we're up here praying to our gods we're throwing everything overboard trying to lighten the load and what are you doing you're down here sleeping come up here and pray to your God or whatever but when Jonah walked up and he saw the storm immediately he knew and he said throw me overboard and all of this will stop and so one two three they threw him overboard and Jonah saw the whale coming with his mouth open wide and so Jonah finds himself in the belly of the whale he finds himself in a desperate situation and all of a sudden I like this in the book of Jonah you can read it I won't take the time but when you can find Jonah, and he says he lifted his hair, and he said, out of my desperation, he said, I cried unto the Lord, and the Lord heard me. Now, once again, I want you to get a picture. This is something that they tell your kids in Sunday school, when DVBS. But I want you to get the picture. This man is in the belly of a well. What do you think it smells like down there? It doesn't smell good. He's probably laying on top of some feces, laying on some top of some undigested food. The Bible said he had seaweed wrapped around his head. He had was laying on something soft, and every time that whale took a, a swim, he was, he was getting sick, a little dizzy, and, and this sort of thing. It was not pleasant down there. But Jonah said, I cried by reason of my affliction, comma, and the Lord heard me. I want to tell you, one chapter ended with the whale swallowing Jonah, but the next chapter started with the prayer meeting. Okay, he said, I cried by reason of my affliction. I don't like it here. I know why I'm here. I'm sorry. Help me. And I want to tell you, the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah out on dry land. And I want to tell you, he made it there from where he stood. He probably had to get his bearings. He looked around a little bit. Where am I? I don't even know where I am. And he saw a sign that said, Nineveh, that way. Okay, and he picked up his, his robe so he wouldn't trip, and it was all wet and wrapped around, had little pieces of everything on it. And he picked it up, and he began to run, and it said he made a three-day journey in one day. And when he got to Nineveh, He didn't check in at the Marriott where the motel ate. He went straight to the corner, and he had an eight-word sermon, eight words. And I believe it was delivered with all of the passion, with all of the uh, the love, with all of the... (laughs) Okay, God, you got me. I believe there was passion in those eight words. He said, yet 40 days... And Nineveh shall be overturned. And whatever I tell you, I'm going to try that one day. Yet 40 days in Meadowbrook and Bridgeport and Clarksburg shall be overturned. And the king was so shaken, the whole city got saved. The cows went to church. Read it. The cows went to church. He put sackcloth on the cows. Said, I don't know whether they have souls or not, but bring them to church and put them in sackcloth. They were moved because one man got desperate. We need to get desperate tonight. And uh, another il- illustration. And I read, I told this illustration the other night at the um, Spiker Life Group, but I-, I have more information tonight. It said on August the 5th, 2010, just after lunch, part of the San Jose Copper Mine in northern Chile collapsed underground. These men, they were a- ranged from age 19 to age 63. They ate their lunch, and then they went down into the copper mine. How many of you remember that in Chile? And the mine collapsed, and it said it turned 33 men into prisoners. It took 17 days to even find them alive. They went down nearly 2,000 feet at the bottom of a century-old mine. But I want to tell you, when the men were down there in darkness... And I remember hearing on the news and reading in the newspaper, here's these 33 men down there, some young, middle-aged, 63 years of age. They were down there, and they never thought that they would see the light of day again. They wondered if they would ever get out of that copper mine. And what did they do? One of them said, does anybody here know how to pray? And men began to pray why they were desperate. And it said that some of the men wrote a makeshift will that they wrote their will. Others begin to write notes to their wives and their, their children and their loved ones. You know, if I we'll never get out, remember, I love you. They wrote notes. There was notes everywhere. And it said, one man got up and he began confessing, well, all my life I've been a little of this, or I've, I've drank, or I've done this, or I've done that. And there was all kinds of confession. And there was revival that shook the bottom of that copper mine because these men were in a desperate situation. They knew that soon they were going to run out of air. Soon they were going to run out of food. Soon they were going to run out of the valuable commodity waters we read about this morning, heard about. But they were down there in the bottom of that copper mine. But it says here that the men up front were were digging and trying to find them. Above ground there was drilling. On day 22, the drilling was successful. Miners below They would drill down and it said that they would paint. They had some paint down there. They would paint the bottom of the drill and send it back up to let us know, we're alive down here, somebody's painted the drill. And they would send up notes and they would send up, don't keep digging, don't quit digging, Keep on digging. Okay, celebration followed. Miners sent up notes and messages and, and to let them know they were alive. And then there was a big celebration that followed. All of these miners are alive. We haven't lost any of them. All 33 are alive. And it said they sent down phones then. And many saw themselves on TV. They saw themselves on the Internet. They knew they were famous. They were going to be rich. And the revival dwindled. Why? They were no longer desperate. Are you getting the picture? When we're desperate, our behavior is different, and I I will say to you that the only one time in my life that I I remember being really, really desperate in a situation, and and I've shared this with you before, and I won't be long, but when uh, they come out and told me that my father was in ICU and that he was not going to make it through the night, I felt desperate. You know, none none of us want to lose our parents, or none of us want to lose anybody we love, but I loved my father. I loved him dearly. And so I just remember going to a a restroom at the VA hospital on the fourth floor. And it was one that was never used very much, even during the daytime, because I never left my father. I stayed day and night. But I went to one restroom, and I turned my face toward the wall, and I was desperate. I cried. I tried to muffle my voice so nobody outside would hear me. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I believed with all of my heart and I, I could be wrong because it was John that said, I, I, I don't know, or and Paul, I, whether I was in the body or out of the body. I believe that was the only time in my entire life I heard an audible voice of God. I heard a voice say, I heard the prayer of Hezekiah. And I thought, Hezekiah. And I thought, well, I do know that he prayed with his face toward the wall, but then all of a sudden the light come on. Hezekiah, he lived 15 more years And I thought so. I went out and I woke my drap and I said, "I said, don't worry, Dad's going to be okay. He's going to live 15 more years." And she said, "How do you know?" She said, "Has the doctor been here?" I said, "No, but I just heard from God in the restroom." I said, "I just heard from the Lord." And so, do you know that the years ticked by, and on May the uh, I think it was May the eighth, he turned 85 years old because he was 70 when he was in ICU. On May the eighth, he turned 85. On June the 4th, he woke me up, and he said, Rita, something's wrong. And I called Michael, and I said, this is it. He turned 85 in May, and he died in June. But he lived 15 more years. But what I'm saying was, I was desperate. I got into a place where I couldn't take no for an answer. Okay, crowd. It says here, Blessed are the desperate, for they will do whatever it takes to get what God has promised them. Uh, When I was young, there was a neighbor that lived on the corner. I grew up in Northview. And on the corner of 14th and Franklin, there was a gray shingled house. And this woman kind of reminded me a little bit of Daniel. She would open her window and pray. The whole neighborhood could hear her praying. And I, when I was young, everybody laughed and made fun of her. Her name was Mrs. Dotson. And everybody made fun of Mrs. Dotson. But I could hear her call out her children's name one by one. She reminded me of Daniel. She prayed morning, noon, and night. This woman was desperate. She prayed for the neighborhood. She didn't care who hurt her. She didn't care who laughed at her. She didn't care who made fun of her. She had the gift of desperation. If I am desperate enough and I pray hard enough and I pray long enough, the Lord is going to hear me, okay? When you become desperate, people will criticize you. They will make fun of you like we made fun of Mrs. Dodson. You may lose a certain amount of religious standing. You may be looked upon as overboard, extreme, unusual, or weird when you really become desperate. You know, sometimes, and, and I know that when we give an altar call here, I don't kneel because I don't have any trouble kneeling, but I couldn't get back up, okay? Those of you that are maybe 65 and over understand what I mean. You just can't get back up. And so I just see people come and and they pray maybe 30 seconds and get back up and leave. I'm not here to criticize. I'm not here putting a downer or a damper on anything. I'm saying that we are living in the day and age where men and women don't get desperate anymore. We don't have to turn the lights dim and partially out and leave people, men and women on the floor crying oh God my loved one, my daughter, my son is on their way to hell. They're going to hell unless You step in and intervene. We don't have the gift of desperation anymore. Where I'm going to die. I've got cancer and I'm going to die if you don't step into my life and help me because God will hear the prayer of the desperate. And I've got this. And this is one line that I like. And I can remember saying this to Pastor one day in the hall. I love this line. It's on my refrigerator. I love it. It says that sometimes we have to lose our dignity in order to contact Deity. I love that. There are times you may have to act a little crazy. You may have to shimmy up a tree. You may have to tear somebody else's roof off. I don't know whose house this is in, but he's in there and he's got the answer my friend needs and I'm not going home with a no. I'm not going home carrying him on a litter like I brought him here. I'll tear this man's roof off uh, no matter what it is. I'll fix it if I have to. I'll pay for it. But desperate people do desperate things, okay? And we need the gift of desperation, okay? People may try to hold you down. They may try to shut you up. You may get your fingers or your feelings stepped on, but the bottom line is this. If you become truly desperate, you will get the attention of heaven. You will get heaven's attention, and I'm not going to be much longer, okay? But, and I know this is another familiar portion of Scripture, but I'm trying to drive a point across tonight. Because if I would say to you, "Have you heard of the blind man? Uh, have you heard of the blind man Benjamin?" Nobody's heard of blind Benjamin. Have you? I haven't. Have you heard of the the woman that had the blood issue named Sally? No, I haven't either. Because they maybe not get did not get desperate enough. But the, I did hear of a blind man called Bartimaeus. And every day someone would take him, they'd go to his house and they'd probably tap on the door and say, Bartimaeus, it's me. It's Nicodemus, I've come to get you to take you to your place where you beg. And they'd get him by the hand and say, no, three steps. Now, you know that. Now, we've been doing this for years. And they would walk him to wherever he went. And he would sit in the dust with the coat that the government had given him. It was a different collar. And the government, when people looked at that coat. They knew that you had permission from the government to beg. And so he would sit there with his government-assigned coat on. And he would sit there in the dust and hold out the tin cup. And he was saying, alms, alms, anybody got any alms? And he was grateful just to hear a few things hit the the ping as they fell on the bottom of his cup. But one day, he, like the woman with the little blood issue that was desperate, he heard that Jesus was coming to town. And he said, I'm going to sit right here in this dust, and I'm going to stay right here because Jesus is passing by my way. How many of you want Jesus to pass by your way today? Pass by your home, save your kids, bring back that lost love. Love one, heal your families, heal your finances. He can do it. We're not desperate enough. We need to get desperate, okay? And so all of a sudden, blind Bartimaeus, he's sitting there in the dust. And when he knew that, you see, his hearing was keen because he couldn't see. But when they got close and he knew they were getting close, he just cupped his hand. He said, Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, I'm over here. Here I am, here I am, and people looked at him, and they were, and what did the and these were the church people, these were the this was the church crowd, this was the religious crowd. They looked at him and they said, "Be quiet," and they tried to silence him. Jesus, don't have time for you. Be quiet. But you see, they could see. They didn't have the blindness that he had. They were not desperate. They could walk home. They could see their family and their friends. They could go to work without a government-issued jacket on. So what did he do? Bartimaeus just cleared his throat. And I like what the Bible says. It says, he cried all the louder, Jesus, thou son of David, I'm over here, and I like what Luke said. Luke said, and Jesus stood still. You see, it was the desperate. There may have been other blind people in that crowd, but they weren't persistent. They were not as desperate. There were other people may have been in that crowd that had a need, but they were not desperate. He said, Jesus, I'm over here, and I bet disgustedly someone said, well, Bartimaeus, the master's calling for you. And I like what he did. He was still blind, but he rose to his feet. He could walk. He rose to his feet, and the first thing he did was what? He took off his beggar's coat. He was still blind, but he just knew if he got heaven's attention... He just knew if he could get attention of the master. So he took off his coat and he left it in the dust and he felt his way to the voice that he heard. And when he stood before Jesus, Jesus said, what can I do for you? You see, Jesus knew his problem. Everybody in town knew his problem, but he wanted Bartimaeus to ask. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given you. You knock and you'll find. You knock and it'll be answered. You seek and you'll find. And he said, Sir, that I might receive my sight. (laughs) When he went home that night and he crawled into his bed, I believe he looked all around. I believe he looked at the stars and the moon, and laying somewhere at the end of that dusty road was a tin cup and a beggar's coat because one man was desperate enough to make a fool of himself. And to not listen to the crowd. And to not be satisfied with the status quo. Not be satisfied, as pastor would say, you know, you can be a victim or a victor. You know, you can live in victory, and you can thrive or you can survive. So again, blessed are the desperate, for they will tear the roof off the house. They will shove their way through the crowd. It doesn't matter one iota to them if Jesus spits in the dust and makes mud balls. Bring that mud on. If it's going to open my eyes, spit all you want. Make all them little mud balls you want to make. Do whatever you got to do. Put them on my eyes. They're desperate. They stumble through the town knocking over items. I, I, I kind of think, he said to one man when he spit in the dust and made mud balls, he said, now go wash in the pool of Salome." The man had probably never seen the pool of Siloam. I don't know if he knew how to get there or not. He couldn't read any signs or anything. He probably asked for directions. But you can bet your bottom dollar that he asked directions until someone, now, now turn here, and they took his shoulder until he found the bull of Siloam and he began to wash and he could see he was desperate. You see, I could name, I could go through all 66 books really, even Isaiah and Ezekiel, the Old Testament that, that got desperate and because they were desperate and I'm watching the time, I got about six more minutes. In 2 Kings, we can read of the Shunammite woman. She, that Elijah, Elisha promised her a son and she had a son and one day he died. And I, I I preach a sermon along that, and, and it's talking about pregnant with promise. You see, she was beyond the childbearing years, and her husband was old and all of this, but there was another miracle. But one day her son died, and he was about 12 years of age. What did she do? She took him up, and she laid him on the man of God's bed, and she went to get... Uh, to saddle the donkeys, and she told her servants, "You saddle the donkeys for me. I'm going to go to Mount Carmel and see the man of God." And her husband tried to discourage her, only because he loved her. I mean, he said, "Now, honey, I don't think you should go alone." She says, "I don't care." She said, "I'm desperate. My my promise is laying up there dead. the the son my my promise is dead. My promise is in trouble." And he said, "Well, you know it." And he said something about the weather, the new moon, and the Sabbath, and the new day. She said, I don't care about the weather. I don't care what it does. It can rain snow, sleet or hail. I don't care. I'm desperate enough. My son needs the man of God. And so when she finally got to the bottom of Mount Carmel and Elisha sent out Gehazi, his servant, and Gehazi said, Hey, how are you? And I, and she looked at him and he said, is it well? And she looked at him and she said, yeah, it is well. Now get out of my way. It wasn't well, but she didn't go there to chit chat with the, with the, uh, the servant. She went to find the man of God. She said, yep, it's well. It's well with me. It's well with my husband. It's well with the boy. Now get out of my way. There's times you just got to get in the presence of God. There's times you just have to find Jesus and stay on your face and get desperate enough. So tonight, I just want to ask you, how desperate are you? You know, we do have lost loved ones. We have people that are that in our lives, in our neighborhoods that are going to hell. We need people that... We have people that are dying with cancer and other dreaded diseases and... I hear, I understand on the news that in Florida the leprosy, is coming back to the United States. There's there's all kinds of cases of leprosy coming back. We're living in scary times, but in exciting times. I'm not discouraged. I'm excited because when you see all these things happen, well, look at the Euphrates River and look at the red heifer and look at these and this and look at that and look at that. It was John that says, when all these things begin to come to pass, comfort one another with these words. He's coming soon. Pretty soon, I'm going to be out of here. When the trumpet toots. I'm going to scoot. I'm telling you, we are going to leave here in a a blaze of glory. I'm telling you, it won't be long till Jesus comes back, church. Get excited about the second coming of Jesus. Get excited about going home. This is nothing to be complacent about, but until he comes, I'm encouraging you. And since I've put this message together, I've tried to say, Lord, I want to be so desperate that I'm willing to fast X amount of days. I want to be so desperate that I'll get up earlier and stay up later and stay on my knees. How desperate are you tonight? Does your life need changes? Does your prayer life need change? Does your church need change? Your community? And I don't even have to ask if your nation needs change. Your nation needs change. Okay, so tonight, I challenge you to make a difference. Be the one that everybody talks about. We had to turn the lights out last night, and Pastor Rita was still laying up there on her face. Good thing she lives in the cove. Be the one everybody talks about. Be the one that chimmies up the tree and says, "Let let Jesus pass everybody else by, but he's not passing me by. I've got a need. I've got something. And there's things in my life that I want to see Jesus answer. Be the one that's willing to take a risk like Mary with her alabaster box. Blessed are the desperate, for they shall see Jesus. And in conclusion, I want to end with this one thought. Remember, there are times... We have to lose our dignity in order to contact deity. Are you desperate tonight? Would you close your head? Close your eyes, please, and bow your head. Heavenly Father, tonight I I feel like I delivered what you gave me. Someone else perhaps could have done it better but I gave you my best tonight, the gift of desperation. I know there are circumstances in my life that I feel desperate about. And I have prayed, but I want to pray out of desperation. I want to pray until the answer comes. Father, Make us men and women that are desperate enough to tear off roofs, to climb trees, to jump out of the boat, to stay in church when everybody else goes home. Make us desperate enough that we can contact heaven. And I thank you for it. As your heads are bowed, before we ask if anybody wants to come up tonight and pray for a desperate situation, I want to give you an invitation to get to know Jesus if you don't know him. If you're here tonight and you've never met Jesus, never ask him into your heart. Tonight's your night. Let tonight be the night that he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. Is there anybody here tonight that has never asked the Lord into your heart? As pastor says, you don't have to come up front if you don't want to. No one will know but me, you, and Jesus. Is anybody here tonight not know Jesus? Usually on a Sunday night, everyone know Jesus, and usually on a Wednesday night, everybody does. So you, tonight, you can lift your heads, and I want to ask you tonight, how many of you have a situation in your family, in your home, in your church, in your community, on your job, that you would like to see Jesus change? Tonight, what I want you to do is just come as Carrie sings and we're going to stand here. And I want you to begin to pour out your heart to him and tell him, Lord, I'm going to get desperate about this situation. I refuse to be denied. Would you just stand with me, please? Those of you that really want to see God move, you want to get desperate until you can come one night and stand and say, guess what? My, my kid got saved. Guess what? My kid's off drugs. Guess what? Emma's come home from Florida. Guess what? I'm healed of cancer. Guess what? There's been revival. Break out on my job. Guess what? I got all my bills paid off and I'm debt free. Do you need to become desperate tonight? The altar is open. You can pray with one another or just talk to the Lord. But if you're desperate tonight, come and talk to Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. We have something for all people and all ages. Or join our live stream at 10 a.m.